Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, it's a true story. I don't know uh, where you stand as, as you gather with us today. Maybe you believe that's a true story and it's changed your life, or maybe you think that's uh, a cute story. There was a time in my life when I was an investigative journalist and reporter that I was a skeptic, and I thought, that's a cute myth. I'm glad it helps people. And then as I started to look into the historicity of it, the archaeology, the ancient writings, obviously, spoiler alert, I'm now a pastor. So, But I want you to know wherever you are um, on the spectrum of believing that I'm just glad you're here today. I think you're going to have a good time as we hang out, as we talk. You might be surprised by some of the things you hear. In, In fact, our topic is maybe a little surprising. Easter Sunday, people tend to dress up in their Sunday best, but we're going to talk about ugly faith, ugly faith. And uh, I'll explain that in a moment, but first, let's think about things in life that are ugly but work. Uh, For example, have you ever been cheering for your favorite team, and they win the game, but it was an ugly win? You know what I'm talking about? I had some of those when I was in high school, that at the end of the game, our coach would gather us in the locker room, and he'd say, hey, you guys got lucky, you won, but it was not pretty. And I remember thinking, but it still counts. Still a win. I'm a dog person, so I don't really look at any dog and think that's an ugly dog. It's not a normal thought in my mind, but it turns out there's a national ugly dog contest, and you can send in photos and submit your dog for the National Ugly Dog Contest. Do you guys want to see the winner? Ugliest dog in the country. Here he is. Go ahead and take a look. (laughs) Even we dog people are like, yeah, that is an ugly dog. But somebody feeds him. Somebody, when they curl up on the couch to binge watch their favorite TV show, this is who they cuddle up with. (laughs) Ugly, but still a dog. I got to show you one of the runner-ups. Probably my favorite ugly dog because this guy has some swagger. Go ahead and take a look. (laughs) Yeah, he don't got a lot of hair, but he knows how to flaunt what's there, doesn't he? He's like got his uh, posture. He's got the look in his eyes. I am a car guy, car person. If you're visiting with us, I will just give you a disclaimer right now that if you come back on future weekends, you're going to hear a lot of car analogies. I'm sorry for that. We've tried to fix it. We can't. I'm just broken. I see everything in the world through a lens of cars. And it turns out, you know, in the car people world, there is a pretty well-established, this is the ugliest car ever made car. And I really debated, do I show this or not? Because maybe somebody drove here in one. And if you did, come down front afterwards, see one of our pastors. We'll see if we can get you delivered, okay? (laughs) But uh, consensus, I didn't get to vote, but consensus is that the late Pontiac Aztec is uh, indeed the ugliest car ever made. And yet, thousands of people bought them, and thousands of people have ugly dogs. And on Easter, would it be crossing a line to talk about ugly babies? 
Yes, it would. So I'm not going to, okay? <laughs> but I will say this. No mom has ever thought that her baby was ugly, but there probably have been times where like some relatives or friends were driving away and in the car the conversation was like, that's a unique looking kid. <laughs> ugly things can still get the job done and that's really what we're going to talk about today. Maybe when it comes to you having faith toward God, you might feel like you don't have any faith or you might feel like your faith is not good enough. Uh, maybe you see some of the people in here like raising hands while they're worshiping and they're all in and you're like, well, good for them, but I don't feel it. And really that has been my faith all the way along from skeptic to where I am today. I've never been a person of pristine, polished, or pretty faith. And so that's why I like this theme of ugly faith. And we're going to actually see in the Easter story that this was the kind of faith, very imperfect, mixed with doubts, mixed with uncertainties that the first Christians had on the first Easter morning. But before we get into that, let's pivot away from anything to do with God, religion, or spirituality. Let's just talk about your normal life day to day. Have you ever had a time where you just knew you had to keep going to get through something difficult? See, every mom who's given birth has done that. But really, all of us who you've studied really hard in a class or you've earned a degree or you had days at your job where you didn't want to get up and go to work, but you knew if you did, you'd get a paycheck. We all have times where we just had to believe if I keep going, it will get better. One of those times in my life was when my three kids, my wife Mel and I, we have three kids, when they were all really young and in diapers. And you guys can judge me on this. Different people have different personalities. I've always loved my kids over the top, so please don't mishear me on that. But crying, being woken up in the middle of the night, handling human feces in my home, these are things that don't, that my personality does not enjoy. Some of you might, but mine don't. So when they were all in diapers and there was this plastic thing called the diaper genie that you'd put the diapers in and it was just, it was a difficult season for me, even though I love our kids. Here's a picture from that time of our life. We were on a road trip, and uh, you just see the delight in their eyes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a vacation where you got home, probably most parents can relate to this, you get home and you're like, why did we spend money to do that? Like, we literally just paid a bunch of money to be miserable. We could have just stayed home and we'd be less miserable and we would have saved the money. This was one of those trips. And what the picture doesn't tell you is that pretty soon after this, one of the three threw up in the car. And so we're four states away from home and we have to pull over at a rest stop and we're trying to clean it up. I won't describe the mac and cheese and Sprite and everything, but it was a bad time in life. It was just disgusting. And I had a friend who was a little bit older and his kids are a little bit older and I was complaining to him and he said, John, hang in there. As they get older, that part of it will get easier. And I'm, I'm really glad I believed that. It wasn't a God thing. It wasn't a religious thing. It was just, my friend tells me this, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to keep moving forward, just like you've done in your life. Well, it turns out he was right. Here are the same kids two weeks ago. During spring break, we drove down to Tennessee. We had heard of this theme park called Dollywood. And uh, it's, you know, Dolly Parton, the country music singer. I was like, oh, I'm not that into country. I don't know. But it was, it was a blast. There's really legit roller coasters. And we had a really good time. 
And I thought, my, how the tables have turned. Like these kids are, they're so easy now. They brush their own teeth. They go to the bathroom on their own. Um, they tell us if their stomach is upset. I, they don't interrupt my sleep. They even let me sleep in. They'll wake up on their own and turn on cartoons and pour their own bowl of cereal. I'm like, this is awesome. My friend was right. Hang in there. It will get better. I'm glad I trusted him and believed what he said. Here's how much better it's gotten. Here's my two daughters. We were in line for a roller coaster. It was like a 30 or 40 minute wait. And I started to get all antsy and bored and angsty and like, why are we stuck in this line? And my daughters are just like playing this cute little game and singing songs. And I'm like, they're better behaved than I am now. Just took, it just took a few years. Pretty soon after this, my daughter Zoe and I decided that we would go on her first ever upside down roller coaster. So here's Zoe in this next picture. Zoe's on the right. My other daughter, Evie's on the left. And um, so Zoe likes roller coasters, but she's never done an upside down one until this trip. And so I decided to take her just the two of us. And as we're standing in line, I was telling her things like this. Zoe, um, your body is going to tell you that you're about to die. (laughs) And that's what makes it fun. So you just have to tell yourself when you're feeling that way, I won't die. It was designed by smart people and and I'll live. And and then it's exhilarating. And so, I mean, completely separate from God, right? We just have to trust that when you buckle in on a roller coaster, you're going to live. Now, I did have a a God thought because I was praying, okay, Lord, help this to be true, what I'm telling her. That this is not like a traumatic roller coaster experience because I'm banking all my dad trust on this. And she trusted me and we did it and it was frightening and then exhilarating and she loved it. So much so that then she wanted to level up for the next ride. And I'm standing in line with her and I'm telling myself, okay, your body's going to tell you you're dying, (laughs) but statistically you won't. You're going to be okay. (laughs) And I looked at all the people in line for the roller coaster, and I had this realization. Every person in this line is a person of faith, regardless of God or spirituality. Everyone here is taking a step of faith, believing that when they buckle in on this roller coaster, they're going to live. And really, that's all that faith is. Faith is a choice to believe anything. And so all of us are people of faith. The question is just, what is your faith in? And sadly, a a lot of people have never really examined, what is my faith in? What do you believe will happen to you when you die? As a journalist, I saw a lot of death. As a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. Every one of us will die in the next 100 years. It's just a fact. So you have to believe something about what happens to you after that. Do you become a butterfly? Do you stop existing? Do you wake up in the presence of your creator? and give an account for your life, you will choose to believe something. And what we're talking about today is the reality that you can choose to start believing in Jesus while you still have questions, while you still have doubts, and even if you feel like your faith is an ugly faith. We're going to wrestle with this question. When it comes to faith toward God or faith that Jesus is God, what if you don't feel it? What if you're here and you know, someone invited you and you look at the churchy people and they clearly feel it, but you're like, I don't think I feel it. I've met a lot of people who feel disqualified from having a relationship with Jesus or Christianity because they don't feel it. 
But the irony is when you read about faith in the Bible and as Jesus described it, it never was a feeling. Faith isn't like falling in love. It's not something that you just wake up one day and it's like, oh, faith just struck me. Now, there's some people who have that experience, but for most of us, including me, it's less about feeling something and more about choosing to believe something. I wonder where in your life do you feel disqualified from faith in God? Or where do you feel um, maybe like your faith isn't good enough? And here's the same question from a different angle. If faith is a choice and not a feeling, if you could make a choice to step toward God in faith and he could work in your life, where would you want to see God work in your life? If, God, if God's there and if he could work in your life and if he could do just one thing for you, heal your marriage, solve your inner anxiety, give you a, a daily freedom from sin and shame and regret that you wake up and you're not defined by your mistakes, give you a, an assurance of eternal life that when you go through sickness and your uh, body is struggling that you know with 100% certainty I will wake up in the presence of God and I will be alive forever. If God could do one thing for you, and if you're one step away from experiencing him and that step is faith, where would you want to see God work in your life? Here's a simple prayer that's been changing my life the last eight months or so, and it goes like this. Lord, grow my faith. Grow my faith toward you. I've been a believer in Jesus for about 20 years now. I've studied the Bible a lot. Obviously, I'm a pastor now. But about eight months ago, a friend of mine, we were at lunch, and he said, John, let's start praying this really simple prayer, Lord, grow my faith. So I've been praying it, and here's what's so fun about a relationship with God. In the last eight months, I have experienced God in ways that I never had over the last 20 years, and he's been growing my faith, even though it's still a pretty ugly faith, in ways that I never would have imagined. And as I prayed about Easter, and as I prayed for you in advance, knowing that God would bring you into this moment, he really led me back to this prayer because it's a one-size-fits-all. Even if you don't yet believe in God, you can start to say this out to the universe. That's where my faith started. When I was a skeptic, my first prayer was this, God, I don't know if you're there. And if you're not, I don't want to waste my time. But if you are there, and if you made everything and you're in control of everything, I'd like to be friends. It was totally kind of selfish, immature, not a really pretty prayer, but God responded to that. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you search with your heart. And so here's where I want to invite you. Maybe you're in the place where you don't yet believe in God, or maybe you've got like beautiful faith. I want to invite you on this Easter, it's a little different, to join me in praying this prayer today, but I want to challenge you to, to make this prayer a prayer that you pray for this next month. And I give you this challenge that I've experienced in my life that if you will pray this prayer for just 30 days, you will start to experience God or you'll experience him in new ways. So to kick it off, I'm going to invite you to join me and over in the overflow room, those of you online, we're going to read this out loud in just a moment. So it's the quote there, starting with the word Lord. 
and I'll lead us in just a moment. I'll count to three and we'll do it. uh, But here's the thing. If you're here and you're like, well, I don't even believe in God, what I'd say is, well, having been there myself, what do you have to lose, right? If if, If you're pretty sure there's not a God, what's the risk of saying, God, work in my life, right? There's no risk if there's not a God. And what if there is, and he actually wants to help you and do things for you that you can't even imagine? And for those of us who do believe in God and do believe that Jesus is God, let's, let's say this from the heart of saying, God, I really want you to grow my faith. You guys ready? Here we go. I'm going to count to three, all right? One, two, three. Lord, grow my faith toward you. It's a beautiful prayer. I, I'm telling you, if this, that's all you take from today, you pray that prayer for the next 30 days, from a sincere heart, you'll see God work. No matter how ugly you might feel your faith is, or, or incomplete your faith might feel to you. In fact, we're going to look at the Easter story, and we're going to look at some people who had some pretty imperfect faith. Some might call it ugly faith. It starts here in John 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, you know how the story ends. You know what Christians believe. You saw it in some of our videos that led up to this. So you'd probably think that the next verse is like, so Mary Magdalene, who by the way is one of our heroes, she's a woman of great faith, but you you might think then she runs back and she's like, hey everyone, Jesus is risen. But that's not at all what happens. Look at the next verse. Mary's predominant emotion here is not faith, but fear. She runs to Peter and John, and here's what Mary's thinking. They've taken the Lord's body. The same evil people who I saw nail him to a torture device and whip him and and, and who killed him, his body's gone. The tomb is empty. Therefore, those people must have taken him. Grave robbers. In this moment, Mary has more faith in the cruelty of humanity than in the power of God. Maybe that's where you feel you are. You're like, I want to believe stuff about God, but I've seen stuff with my eyes. I've seen abuse, injustice. To me, the cruelty of humanity is a lot more real than an unseen God. That's exactly where Mary is in this moment. So she tells this to Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, and they sprint to the tomb. And no doubt, they're thinking as they're running, who could have taken the body? John gets there first, and he kind of pauses at the entrance, because the way these graves were, they were um, chiseled into the mountainside, and then there'd be a big stone that would roll over. So it's almost like a cave, just kind of big enough for one body to go in there, and um, John gets there and he's looking in and the bench where the body goes, there is no body on it. But the reason I think that John's standing there kind of befuddled is that the linen grave clothes, if you've ever seen a mummy, an Egyptian mummy, and you see how they wrap them up, well, the similar culture, similar time. Jesus' body had been wrapped up in these very expensive linens. And John's standing there because the body's gone but the linens are there. And he's thinking, who's, I imagine he's thinking, who steals a body and takes time to undress the corpse, right? Like, that's just weird. So he's standing there. Well, Peter catches up. Peter's more a man of action than thought. And he just pushes right past John. He runs in there. Verse 8, finally, John also went inside. He saw and believed. Believed what? Well, John is the guy who writes this letter. 
And he doesn't say exactly what he believed. In the past, I've always taken it through the lens of like, well, he believed Jesus was risen. But if you read the next verses, it's at the very least an incomplete faith. It might actually be he believed what Mary said, the body's stolen. Because it's John's own words, the next verse, which is in parentheses, verse 9 of John chapter 20, he writes and says, essentially, we still did not understand. We still did not get how does all of this fit together. And my point is this, on the first Easter Sunday morning, it wasn't pastel colors, there weren't Easter eggs, and it wasn't like Jesus' believers were all like, oh, we have perfect faith. The tomb is empty, he is risen. No, Mary thinks grave robbers stole him. John and Peter possibly think that, or at the very least, according to John's own words, they don't understand how it all fits together. And then you'd think, well, now they're going to run back and tell people Jesus is risen. But the next verse tells us this. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And if you read all of John chapter 20, which we'd love for you to do, we'll give you a study Bible today if you want one. We want you to read the Bible. That's all we do here really is teach you what the Bible says. There's no magic in me or Ron or anyone else who speaks. We just teach the Word of God. If you read John 20, what you'll find is that where they were staying was a locked, barricaded room. They were afraid that the same people who killed Jesus would kill them. So even if they kind of believe he's risen, it's not like they ran into town and they were like, hey, everyone, the Messiah's risen. No, they, they go hide. This is the level of their faith. And what I love is this is the kind of faith that God works with. Did you know that you can choose to start believing in Jesus before your faith is fully formed. You can choose to start believing in Jesus while you still have questions. You can choose to start believing in Jesus before you understand how scripture and all of it fits together. That was my journey, just one step at a time and continues to be my journey. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So Peter and John have gone back to their locked room with the other disciples. No doubt they're verbally processing what they've seen and what it means. Mary, who had been an incredibly broken, outcast person before she met Jesus, she's just standing there weeping. And we're going to see, by her own words, she still thinks that Jesus is dead and that people have stolen his body. And as she's standing there in tears, she's alone, she's disillusioned, she's seen people she trusted like Peter deny Jesus, she feels violated, the body of her closest friend has been stolen, who does that? And she's just there in this very broken, vulnerable, crying state, probably not feeling like she has a really majestic faith probably not feeling like it all makes sense. And here's what I love about Mary's example. When it doesn't make sense, when she saw her Savior dead and she thinks he's still dead, she chooses to keep believing in Jesus, even just a little, right? I, he's dead, that doesn't make sense, but I still think he was the Messiah, and she just stays in this place where she last saw Jesus working. And some people might call it an ugly faith. It's an imperfect faith. But it's enough faith. Because the way God works 
is that it's not about us and our sufficiency. You know, some people think they have to do enough good deeds to get to heaven, but the Bible makes it really clear that we're saved by grace, that is, Jesus did the good deeds through faith, believing. But even when it comes to faith, I've found that a lot of people feel like, well, if your faith is really good faith, then you'll be saved. But that's a misconception that faith is like this feeling kind of thing. Faith is just a choice. And even if you make the choice in a really ugly way, in a really tattered way, in a way that says, I don't really know, I've still got more questions than I have answers, but I'm going to try it. That's what God works with. You can choose to point your belief at Jesus while you still have questions. You can choose to point your belief at Jesus, and that's my invitation to you this month of April. Choose to point your belief at Jesus and see what happens. See what he does. Start to, as as you do pray, Lord, grow my faith, identify the areas in your life where you want him to work. Do you want to drink less alcohol? Do you want to be less addicted to a screen? Do you want to stop yelling at your kids? Do you want to stop losing your temper at work? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to be transformed? Start identifying those things and saying, God, if you're there, Jesus, I, I, I want your help. I want you to work in my life and just see what happens. Well, earlier we talked about ugly dogs, and it was a little mis, mismatched, unbalanced, because we didn't talk about cats. There are ugly cats in the world as well. You guys want to see an ugly cat? Here is one. Here's an ugly cat. Right? We have compassion on this poor guy. Somebody feeds him. Somebody changes his litter box. Somebody cares for this guy. Though he's a little bit ugly. How do you think God views you when your faith is less than perfect? How do you think God views you when you have no faith? How do you think God views you when you have turned your back on him and you're willfully running towards sin and things that you know are going to hurt you or other people? Well, you don't have to wonder because the Bible tells us how God feels about you. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God proves his love for you in this. While you were still a sinner, with your back turned to him, Christ died for you. So God came into our world in the person of Jesus. And you might say, well, why did he have to do that? I don't fully know, but I think one of the reasons why is we can understand Jesus. The creator himself is so much smarter than us. Our our little brains can't quite handle it. But Jesus, we can see. We can see how he treated people, and we can understand his words But why did he come into our world? Why did he willingly die on the cross? He was pursuing you. God so loves you that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that if you will believe, which is you take a step toward God, choosing, not a feeling, then you won't perish or die, but you'll have everlasting life. I said we wouldn't talk about ugly babies and Obviously, my kids are not ugly, but I want to show you an ugly cry picture. This is my son, Jack, doing an ugly cry when he was a toddler. He had really bad allergies at the time. 
I would guess if you showed this picture to enough people around the world who didn't know him or the story or anything else, you could probably find someone out of almost 8 billion people who would say that's an ugly kid or at least that's not a good-looking kid in that moment. How do I feel about him? When I see that picture, do I, do I see any ugliness? No. I see my son and I view him with compassion. Did you know that the God who made you sees you when you are at your worst? The parts of you that you hide from other people, he knows them all. And he loves you as you are. And he wants you in this kind of relationship with him. Where some people might say that's an ugly kid. For me, that's my hand on his chest. And that's my chest that his head is leaning up against. God so loves you. He sees you at your worst. And he doesn't reject you or run away from you. He's pursuing you. Say, how's he pursuing me? How about right now, this moment? The fact that you are here or watching, it's not an accident. God is speaking to you through the teaching of his word, saying your faith doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. All you've got to do is surrender enough to say, Father in heaven, will you fix me? Will you help me to receive your love? Help me to, to believe that you see the broken parts of me and love me as I am, and that through Jesus, you offer repair for the broken parts of me. What I've experienced in my life is that God responds to and rewards really imperfect faith. He responds to and rewards ugly faith. He responds to and rewards barely even there faith. If you'll simply choose to step toward him, which we often say believe. My own faith has always been an ugly faith. I've described that to you guys. Let's return to Mary's story in John chapter 20. So Peter and John have run back to their locked room. Verse 14, Mary has been standing at the empty tomb crying. We don't know, was she there for 20 minutes, for two hours? Eventually, she also turns to leave. Right? You can't just stand at the graveside and cry all day. In this moment of her turning to leave, as I was praying for each of you, I had this thought that there's probably some of you here who have believed in Jesus at some point. Maybe you've even seen Jesus work. But you maybe really relate to this moment where Mary's faith has been dismantled by what she's seen in the last three days. She had this really gorgeous, beautiful faith. It's just been dismantled, not by her weakness, but really by seeing her friend stripped naked and beaten and, and hearing a mob chant crucify him and watching him gasp and bleed and die. And just reality has dismantled her faith. She's disillusioned because people like Peter who said, I'll never deny Jesus. She saw Peter curse and swear and say, I never knew the guy. People have let her down. Life has let her down. Injustice and violence and evil have overwhelmed the faith that she had. 
And maybe you relate to some of that. What I love about Mary is that even when her emotions were in that place, she went to the last place where she had seen Jesus, and and we're about to see this beautiful shift in the story that Mary's faith has been dismantled. God has already solved all the problems that Mary's concerned with, but she just doesn't know it yet. Because she still thinks Jesus is dead, but he's actually a few feet away from her breathing. What if all the things that have dismantled your faith, what if God, being infinite and not limited by time or evil people, what if he's already solved those problems? But the only way you're going to realize and see his solution is to, to step toward Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense. Well, here's how the story goes. Mary finally turns to leave She sees through tear-filled, bleary eyes the silhouette of someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. That's pretty profound. Oh, if you just knew the times in your life when you called out to God and it seemed like he wasn't there, but he was standing right there. You had your head down and your eyes were filled with tears so you didn't perceive that he was there. And and here we see the heart of God. When she doesn't recognize him, does Jesus be like, oh, that's it. I died for your sins. I rose from the dead. I'm right here. You're walking right by me. Forget it, Mary. Right? But we think he acts that way to us. Look at verse 15. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? The reason Mary's dismantled faith reassembles is that she kept looking for Jesus. And I just wonder, have you ever really looked for Jesus in your life? Isaac Newton, father of modern physics, Blaise Pascal, Johannes Kepler, these are men who believed with their high-level intellect that Jesus is the one true God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. These are men who studied the scriptures. It's not anti-intellectual to believe, but it requires seeking him. And you can have the highest-level mind. If you seek him, you'll find him. And you can have a mind that other people say, well, that person ain't that smart. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you don't seek him, you never will. Mary was looking for Jesus. Have you ever actually sought for him? What if you did that for a day? What if you joined us and you did that for a month? You said, for one month, I'm going to seek Jesus. Here's why I think you would be irrational to not do that. This true story, the 15 people locked in a room who believed it, started a movement That is today, according to the Pew Research Center, the largest movement ever in human history. More than two and a half billion people alive today, one out of three people in the world. When the Pew Research Center goes to every country on all the populated continents and says, what do you believe? One out of three people says, I'm a Christian, meaning I believe Jesus is the Christ and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. One out of three people. How do you go from 15 people with no marketing budget, no social media, nothing, and create the largest movement in human history, and every year it keeps growing? Well, here's why. Because people like me who step out and say, I've still got questions, it doesn't make sense, but God, if this is real, I want to try it. We try it, and it changes us. 
It's like, wow, now I have patience for my kids where I didn't. Now I'm a better husband. Now I have peace that I didn't. Now I'm free from shame where I never could get free from it. And we find it to be true. And then we invite our friends and family. And we say, you guys have got to try this. It's awesome. And the thing just keeps growing. Well, Mary, her faith, she still thinks Jesus is dead, even as he's talking to her. It's happening to some of you right now. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener, right? This isn't God. This is just a guy who's taking care of these grave sites. Sir, she said, if you've taken Jesus' body away, tell me where you've put him. Here's her sincere faith. Even though she still thinks Jesus is dead, she wants to go and honor his body. She wants to bring it back and, and clean it up. Mary, Jesus said. And in that moment, the vocal signature registers. And even though her shoulders have been hunched and her eyes have been down and filled with tears, she's heard Jesus say her name over the last two years many times, and she realizes it's him, and she embraces him. It's this beautiful moment. But it happened because she kept seeking Jesus even when he seemed dead. You might wonder, well, John, you used to be a skeptic, now you're a believer. Have you ever heard God say your name like that? Have I ever heard, John? <laughs> no, I haven't. But here's what I have experienced. When I've doubted, is this really the word of God, or are these just old, I know the archaeology and the manuscripts and stuff, but is it really God's word? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to read it anyway. Then God speaks to me, and then I realize it is for sure. Those are the times I've heard God. Here are the other times I've heard God. When I've wondered, man, some of these Christians are so broken, so dishonest, so wrapped up in divisive stuff. Does church even matter anymore? I don't feel it, but I'm going to choose to step into the house of God every weekend anyway. Then I hear from God. When I doubt about prayer, and I think, is God even there? Is he even listening? Does it matter? I'm going to choose because faith is a choice, and I'm going to pray anyway, whether I feel like it or not. Those are the times that I hear from God. Mary makes the choice that you can make today to say, I'm going to step toward Jesus. I'm going to choose faith. Just like a person getting on a roller coaster chooses, I believe this won't kill me and will hopefully be kind of fun, they make a choice. Every atheist who denies the existence of God is a person of faith if they have a bank account. They have faith that I put my money there, and when I go back, they'll have my money. It's faith, it's unseen, but it's rational, it's logical, and it's the same with the Christian faith. There are parts that are unseen. You do have to step out, but it's not illogical. It's not irrational. If you consider all the other answers to where did we come from, why do we matter, what happens after death, how do we deal with sin and shame, show me a better answer than this one. And if it's one that worked for Isaac Newton and Blaise Pascal and some of these brilliant people, why not step toward it and try it? God doesn't play hide and seek. He plays seek and find. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you search with your heart. Well, if lowering the restraint bar on a roller coaster is the moment of faith, what is it with God? 
I would suggest very simply, it's you moving your feet toward him, which you did today. Even if you got dragged here, you still came in. And it's moving your heart toward him. Here's where I want to encourage you to take that step today and keep taking that step for one month with us is this. You don't even know yet what you're missing. All right, a person who's never ridden a roller coaster to try to describe it, you could describe it so long. And it's like, well, ultimately, you just got to like hop in, get over your fear, try it, and then experience it. You don't even know until you really give Jesus a try what you're missing. You can be completely free from sin and shame. You can have full identity and confidence every day when you wake up. I don't need people to like me on social media. I don't need people to say nice things about me. I'm a child of the creator of the universe. I'm inherently valuable. I'm beautiful in his sight. Like you, the things that you're missing out on until you step to Jesus, I can't even describe it. The peace, the relationship, the purpose, the fulfillment, the community of having a tribe that loves you as you are, but it all starts with one step. Let me show you a true story of a man who sat exactly where you're sitting. 18 months ago, he walked in here for the first time. Lots of brokenness, lots of barriers between him and God, but he chose that one first step of faith. Look what God has done. When I was young, my parents decided to send me to a behavioral institution. I was, I guess, misbehaved, had a very, a lot of aggression, a lot of anger, a lot of hate in my heart, uh, being such a young age. Continued on with rage and, and attitude and anger. Into high school really started my drug addiction. I took my first takes of cocaine, was heavily involved in LSD and weed and drinking as well. I really didn't have curfew. I, I really didn't have rules. Uh, so I kind of was, I, I mean, I acted out, period. Um, and I think when you, when, you're, when you have a free reign of the world, I think you're just gonna pilot anything you think that you can do or get away with. I hit rock bottom in college where I was addicted to methamphetamines for six years of my life. I tried to kick the curb by joining the military. That didn't work at all. After about six years, I met my uh, wife, Carrie. When I met Carrie, we had an awesome relationship for a couple years before we got married. Didn't have any kids, so we started, you know, just the social drinking with our friends out. We drank a lot, um, just because we had no kids, we were always out. Started having kids, and I just started becoming um, really not present at all in our kids' lives. I got three kids, 10, uh, 10 7, and 5, so Brady, Autumn, and Landon. I treated Carrie uh, pretty bad. We had filed our documents to get a divorce. One Sunday, Carrie asked me to come to Connection Point. The Sunday that the story on Zach and Lindsay aired, and I related to that story because I had gone through um, severe addiction myself. Afterwards, I went down and just introduced myself. He got me plugged in with uh, with Tim Mosier and Aaron Steffi, 
and Dave Sears through Connection Point who are volunteers at Trinity Life Ministry, a faith-based addiction recovery. I really started pivoting my life toward Christ. When we started healing um, our marriage after Connection Point, I started finding ways to void that going to B-dubs and drinking. I had to find something purposeful in life and I got plugged in. Going through banquet myself was a huge step in not only learning more about Christ, but being able to find those connections that already served at Connection Point, which wanted me to be a part of Connection Point and serve as well. The thing that I think really stuck out to me the most about changing your ways through Christ is that after my banquet, um, you, you, you get to have this little secret kind of letter that you opened. And I knew that the letter that I was opening was my son. My son, Brady's letter. And um, he pretty much told me how proud he was of me for the way that I changed my life and it touched my heart. And so I've been, I've been trying to do what's right for my wife, for my kids and for my family and for Christ. By somebody like listening to the story, you ultimately have a choice in life. Do you want to, do you want to keep running the same line or do you want to pretty much go up, chase the light, not the darkness? God wants to do the same kind of thing in your life. We all have barriers between us and God. Sometimes they're intellectual, sometimes they're addiction, sometimes there's shame. It doesn't matter what the barrier is. There's no mistake you've made that wasn't paid for at the cross. There's no doubt you have that God can't overcome. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, but only you can choose if you'll step toward him. That is a choice that only you can make. And I love the way John phrased it. He said, you ultimately have a choice. All the transformation that you saw that I've seen in his life over the last 18 months, it started with him being at a service and saying, I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to believe. And he's just taken one step and the next step and the next step. And God is just waiting to do the same kind of thing in your life. What if, what if the difference between you and the life that you desire what if you're one choice away and that one choice is to invite Jesus to help you, to call out to him, to believe on him? What if where you can't fix your marriage, he can? Where you can't fix your internal stuff, he can? What if the things that are broken in your life are just one choice 
a way would you make that choice today? Well, after Mary sees Jesus risen, she runs back and tells the disciples he's risen. And they're all processing this. And later that night, the first Easter Sunday, in the evening, the disciples are in this locked room, afraid, and Jesus, risen in a body, visits them. And they're all like, wow, Jesus, I I can't believe it. But here's the, the interesting thing about the story. One disciple was missing. They didn't have Uber Eats or DoorDash. I don't know why Thomas was gone exactly. Maybe he was at the market getting some food, but Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas returns and all the disciples are like, we've seen him. It's just like Mary said, he's risen, he's, he's alive. We all touched him and we talked with him. And Thomas got this nickname. You surely heard the phrase, a doubting Thomas. That's where it comes from. Doubting Thomas. Thomas refuses to believe. He doesn't just have ugly faith. He has no faith. He essentially crosses his arms. He says, I refuse. There's no way. I saw him die. I saw him bleed out. I saw the dead body. There's no way. It's impossible. You guys are having like a mass hallucination event or something. And yet what I love is that eight days later, Thomas hadn't left to go fishing or to go back to his old job. Thomas was still with the Jesus people eight days later. Not a believer, but with them. And I hope you know you're welcome here with us every weekend. Be with Jesus people. You can be with Jesus people even while you're doubting. It's because Thomas was there eight days later, then Jesus visits a second time. And this time, Thomas, who said, unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I touch him with my own hands, I refuse to believe. Well, God honors the fact that Thomas was still there. Jesus shows up to him, and I love Thomas's response. He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas goes from a negative 10 faith to a positive 10 faith in one instant. He now gets it. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher or a prophet who could do miracles. He is the one true God. And that because he died and rose from the dead, we no longer have to fear death. And all his promises about abundant life and freedom from sin and being the living water and the bread of life, they're all true. He is the creator connecting everyone who will believe back to him. And Thomas gets it. Then Jesus says this to Thomas, and he says it to you, the second part. He says, Thomas, you believe in me because you've seen me. I worked with your really ugly faith, and he'll work with our ugly faith. But then Jesus makes a promise for you. And all of us in the 2,000 years since Thomas, he says, blessed are those who will believe in me without seeing. I love it that God put this in the story because he knows, he knew it was hard for me as a skeptic to believe in a God I can't see. And he knows that's hard for you. But you do believe in a bank where you don't see your money every day. You don't see the cash, but you believe in it. We believe in all sorts of things that are unseen. So what if you were to step out and say, I'm going to choose that today? If you will, God says there's a blessing for you. John wraps up his gospel this way. He says, everything I've written down here is so that you may continue to believe. The assumption is this. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, 
every day you're stepping out again and you're letting God grow your faith. That's how you experience him. Believe what? That Jesus is the Messiah? He's God. Why should you believe this? Because when you do, you will have life through the power of Jesus' name. If you want to close your eyes, maybe bow your head, I'm going to wrap up with just two very simple questions. Close your eyes so you can just focus on you and God. You can listen to these words. The first question is this. It's a yes or no. Do you want God to grow your faith? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then tell him that right now. You can read your thoughts. God, I want you to grow my faith. You can say it out loud if you want. God, I want you to grow my faith. There's a story in the Bible of a man who asked Jesus to heal his daughter, and Jesus said, do you believe? The man said, I kind of believe, but would you help my unbelief? And Jesus heals his daughter. That's been my prayer, my ugly faith prayer most of my life. God, I kind of believe. Would you help my unbelief? He always does. You can start there. God, I kind of believe. Help my unbelief. Grow my faith. Second and final question to you today is this. Have you ever invited Christ into your life? Have you ever had a moment where you just directly said, Christ, I want you to lead my life? If not, I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front, but with every eye closed and heads bowed, if you want me to pray for you, if you want me to help you in that decision today, I would ask you to put your hand up as a step of faith and saying, I want Christ to be the leader of my life. I want to see God work in my life. If that's you, raise your hand, raise it up high. I'm looking all across the room. I'm seeing a lot of hands and I love it. Way to go, you guys. More at this service than any other service. There've been a lot at all the services, but yeah, this is great. So, hey, you guys can put your hands down and if that is your sincere prayer, I'm gonna repeat um, some little phrases and you just... Repeat these from your heart, with your mouth if you want, to God. And here's how it goes. You just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Be the leader of my life. Jesus, I choose to believe. You are the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Give me new life in you. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Set me apart to live for you. Be the leader of my life. God, I want to thank you for all these who invited you into their lives, this salvation moment. I pray, Lord, that the roots would go down deep, that the life change would be real and lasting, and that just like the John Bowersock story that we saw on video, that their life would be changed in lasting, dramatic ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that 
and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us, and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.